and welcome to Triad. I'm your host, Alex Lovendahl. I'm here with my co-host, Austin Wellens. And we're back to you doing my name. And it fits like a glove, honestly. I think it's better this way. And we're also here with our other co-host, Jackson Rohde. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey. (laughs) I feel like a dick now, because I made a point out of my intro, and you're just like, let's get to it. I want to talk. Well, uh, then let's... Talk. Jackson, do you want to tell them what we're doing this week? Oh yeah, so our next three episodes will be the Fast and Furious saga. Which I am going to be titling, How Fast, How Furious. Okay, uh, how high. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so for this one we watched uh, The Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Um, and I think we kind of just decided to split. I mean, basically, we knew if we wanted to do this as three episodes, we had to split it fairly arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we're we're going to do next week, we'll do four, five, and six, which is kind of when this series starts getting, go goes from sort of this weird, like, this could be the last one, to we are going to start putting money into these movies. Um, yeah. And making them bigger and crazier um, with each entry. Um and then Furious 7, we're going to save for the last episode, partly because it's longer and has more to talk about, but also just because it's we probably can talk about the whole series. Yeah, it's also probably a better movie than all the I'm ones. curious. I'm curious to find out if you guys agree with me. Okay. Um, I definitely think it's the best one. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people would probably say Fast Five so is the, the best one. I'll say that the ones that we watched for this episode are the only ones that I've seen. Yeah. So, uh, and I didn't even watch Tokyo Drift with you guys. I've seen it other times. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Too Fast, Too Furious is my least favorite of the ones that I've seen. It's still really fucking fun. (laughs) Austin, you've seen none of these movies before. I, a couple years ago, my brother got what I now know to be Fast 6, Furious. Fast Fast and Furious 6. Fast and Furious 6. Yep. He got it on Blu-ray for Christmas no, it's time. Fast, it's fast. No, yeah, it is. It's Fuck. fast and they furious. They need to get their nomenclature right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even remember they what they're calling. They dropped the Vuzz, like, a while ago. My brother got the sixth one on Blu-ray for Christmas one year while I was home, and so they put it on, but because I sort of didn't know what to make of this franchise, like, I didn't have faith in it because I hadn't, like, looked into it at all and I hadn't seen anything, I kind of, like, half paid attention to it, and I remember the runaway scene of being like, oh, this is, this is really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, like, plot, context, everything, I didn't know that it was special that The Rock was there because, like, I just assumed he had always been there, mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah, I'm sort of fumbling in the dark on these. So, you know, they're, the, the, we're at the point where they, like, can't even really seem to figure out who their main character for these movies is gonna be, uh, still in this franchise. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to <laughs> yeah. talk about, was, right. like, it's not just that the first three are each, like, a different style of movie. Like, they're not each just an action movie or a racing movie or whatever. They each, like, have their own genre work that they're doing within themselves. But underlying that is the fact that there's not a consistent character (laughs) through the three of the movies. Well, the first two... Oh, yeah, Paul Walker does two. So the first two is... Paul Walker is the main character of the first two. That's pretty consistent. He's kind of co-lead in the first one in a lot of ways, though, because he's kind of just very passive in the first one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call the first one an ensemble film. Yeah, the first one's either an ensemble movie or it's a co-lead situation with him and Vin Diesel, Mm -hmm. where Vin Diesel, like, drives the movie. And and, uh, Paul Walker's... um, Oh, man. Ryan O'Connor? 
Yep. Oh, what a, what a um, white character name. Brian O'Connor. I he, swear they change his name from one movie to the other because it is Connor in the first one, and then they change it to O'Connor in the second one. I swear to God. But um, I could be. I, maybe, I was, maybe people are just really surprised whenever they see him from then on. Oh, Connor. But, oh, Connor. I thought you were out of this franchise. Uh, um, yeah. But he's definitely the more passive character in the first one mm-hmm. regard, with regards to the plot. Um even, but like, also he gets way more of the solo scenes. He's like definitely the protagonist in the mm-hmm. sense that like we're getting it through his perspective. Yeah. But um, it's not necessarily his story. The second one is a Paul Walker uh, like vehicle. It is his story. He has to become a better actor in order to fill the shoes of the movie. Oh and yeah, he gets at least part way there, and then Tyrese just brings yeah, it he, back down. <laughs> he, gets, he gets a best friend sort of sidekick character, right? Oh man, Tyrese. which is totally what Tyrese is doing. He's mm-hmm. not Vin Diesel co-leading; he's there to support. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's yeah. a sidekick. Um, yeah. But then in three, we drop all of those characters, and you basically, get, and you get Lucas Black, the hero that America deserves, <laughs> who is. Or I guess the most, J- Japan deserves? <laughs> who's the most milk-toast white boy who has ever been in a movie, ever. And it's hilarious because the only character they pull out of that is uh, Han, Han, who's played by Sung Kang. Who is fantastic. Who's, super who's in, like, but like scenes <laughs> and is amazing. He's, he, there's just this tiny note of aloofness in his performance. Oh my like, God. it's not just a character. It's not tiny like, at all. It's He's so aloof, it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, not that the character has, like, been around the block kind of over it and tired of this shit which I think is in the writing but yeah. in his performance even he's kind of just like man I'm probably too cool to be in this movie, <laughs> yeah exactly right? yeah yeah and he's doing it it's honestly like it's so weird Han is a character that is in like the director of the third one Justin Lin's debut independent movie about Asian America and Sung Kang plays Han in that movie <laughs> what <laughs> It's just like a different, like hustling, like criminal character who's hanging out with a bunch of high schoolers. But like, he is not that. That does not carry forward into the continuity of the Fast okay. and Furious movies. But basically, these two are friends, and he's just like, ah, I still like Han. Yeah. Honestly, so he brings him. Forward. Wait, is that like? Is that seriously a thing? Like yeah. Han is the same Han's, character. It's it's a character named Han who is a criminal hustler who hangs out with high schoolers. So, only only Han in that movie is in a, like California. So that's why Lucas Black like connects with him, I guess, because um, he's a high schooler from that movie is named Texas. Better luck tomorrow. Unfortunately, better luck tomorrow sucks. Okay, um, well, wow, shit. it's really, really boring. A lot of it is pretty like offensive because it's just sort of like Asian Americans being really, really sexist, homophobic, and yeah. racist to everyone else in their community. And it's like, it's a depiction of, like, juvenilia, but it's like, it goes beyond that at a certain point, and it's, better like tomorrow is not worth your time, unfortunately. Did Justin, though, Lin, did Justin Lin do Insidious, too? No, did that's he? James Wan. Okay. He's gonna take over for Furious 7. That's why, okay, that's why <laughs> um, I'm confused. Uh, but, so, we actually have three different directors yeah. for the first three movies. Yeah. Um, Doug Lyman directed uh, The Fast and the Furious. And helped write it. And and helped write it along with David Ayer, mm-hmm. uh, who is the Suicide Squad director now. Yeah. And then um, Fury. Fury. Fury and End of Watch. Yes. Yeah. About David Ayer joints. Um, no, not then, bad movies. But... Oh, End of Watch is real good. Yeah, End of Watch is very cool. Fury um, is middle of the road, like, war I'm movie. I'm curious about Suicide Squad, just because he he's going back to sort of an ensemble mm-hmm. that can be kind of goofy. Um, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, 
Hopefully. Or it'll be, like, as ridiculous and weird as Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. Um, which, if Austin sees Batman vs. Superman, we might have to do a special episode. <laughs> oh, point. I thought you had already seen it. No, he no, no, yet. I was sick that weekend. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. Get out That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, fuck that movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, so... We have we have Doug Liman directing the first yeah. one, and then you notice that there's a distinct change in the second one, despite the fact that like the budget and like the style doesn't necessarily change like dramatically. It's like very still like standard crime movie, but um, it goes from like pretty. I mean, there's some elements of the Fast and Furious that are like it's very like early two thousands culture and kind of things, but it's it looks very timeless. Like it has it like it doesn't look. Yeah, like it's from a very specific time. You go to you you go to Too Fast Too Furious, and it is a time capsule <laughs> into two thousand two. Everyone is wearing Sean John and uh, Fila and Fat Farm. And the only way like, they could have gone farther was if they had somebody wear those like New Year's glasses that says two thousand two yeah. and the zeros are like the eye holes. Which would not be out of place yeah. at one of yeah. the yeah. Like, racing events if you saw someone wearing Happy New Year two thousand two glasses. Everything is neon and PlayStation two and just like just in your face two thousand two. Yeah. Including Ludacris. And that one's directed by John Singleton, who directed Boys in the Hood. Yeah. Um which is also very of its time. Yeah. Film. And then um Justin Lin takes over for Tokyo Drip. Um yeah. I think Rather than focusing on directors, because it's like, it's kind of just real nebulous to get at, because they're such different movies. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask kind of just about different elements that maybe we can pull from different parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obvious, I, I think we can agree that uh, Vin Diesel stands out. Oh yeah. Um, A little bit, yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's really remarkable that <laughs> the way he leaves an absence He's and the... like the way he appears in this cameo at the end, and you're like genuinely thrilled to see Vin Diesel. It's even that, but like <coughs> his cameo in the third one is great, but he casts this weird shadow on the second one where it's yeah. like, oh, we're gonna follow Paul Walker out on his. It almost feels like this delightful little side adventure. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when TV shows will do that thing where they'll pick out one of their like really minor like background supporting characters <laughs> and, do, like, an and they'll do an episode arc. that's just following like. What's their day like? It feels like that. It feels like Baby's Day Out with Paul Walker in Miami. And, and the it's problem kind of is, fun. The problem is Paul Walker is supposed to be the protagonist of the first <laughs> exactly, and yeah. second movie. Vin Diesel is like the neutral, uh, like, half bad guy who turns good. It's the, the idea one. of the movie is continuing to follow Vin Diesel rather than Paul Walker is a little like if somehow they made a Goodfellas 2 and it followed Robert De Niro instead of <laughs> Ray Liotta. But like... Also, that's kind of what you'd want to watch, is more of that. If Ray Liotta just, like, went on to be, like, a government snitch, and that's, like, his new thing, it would not be as interesting as following the continued story of this weird, like... Vin Diesel actually has charisma in that first movie that is, like, noticeably absent from Paul Walker in that first movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, what a blank slate of a boy. (laughs) Family. Uh... There's this great moment in the first one where um, it's after that <coughs> first great, like, s- ridiculous race. Oh, yeah. Um, That's so fun. Uh, it's just oh, candy. It's so much digital nonsense getting thrown at the screen because they could. Oh, yeah. shit, it's the cops. <laughs> and it's before the cops show up, yeah. though. It's this moment where, like, 
Paul Walker is like bringing in this like totally just he's destroyed his car mm-hmm. and he gets out of the car and there's this huge mob of people <laughs> that have come out of nowhere and no they were keeping up with the cars right. Alex they were following the, the start line like it's never been this crowded in this movie before <laughs> this moment and Vin Diesel's just standing there like ready to grandstand basically and Paul Walker gets out and he kind of can't stop laughing and yeah. it's almost like is Brian the one who's laughing, or is Paul the one who yeah. can't stop laughing? It's, but, it, I mean, there's genuinely, I think that's a really sweet moment yeah. because of that, where you're like, even Paul Walker's having so much fun that he can't really contain it, and it, it almost works to the movie's advantage, where it's like, why, why, what, what? are you smiling about? That's you just <laughs> ruined your fucking car. <laughs> and, and he just does this horrible line delivery, just like, I almost had you. Yeah. And then Vin Diesel begins this amazing, like, wrestling pro grandstand speech. <laughs> and he's just riling up the crowd, getting them wilder and wilder. I was waiting for him to be interrupted by his rival's theme music. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so wild. By God! By God! By God, it's Johnny Tran! Um... But no, he's, you know, it's it's interesting because obviously Vin Diesel is not like no one's no one's going to compare Vin Diesel to like the star caliber of someone like Harrison Ford in those like seventies or eighties movies. He's like, getting there. I mean, I personally have seen a lot of those Harrison Ford movies and been kind of underwhelmed with them myself. But I understand the importance they <clears> had then with the movie or with Harrison Ford. Um. Kind of both. Okay. I feel like the like I, I've seen like movies like Witness and The Fugitive and stuff okay, well, like Witness that. The Fugitive is the one that I was thinking of. Where I'm like Harrison Ford is not like he's not bad, obviously, yeah. but he's not like flooding the screen with so much personality that I'm like, yeah, no, I definitely understand why people love this movie, even if it's not for me. You can just stop trying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, obviously, in something like Raiders or Blade Runner, yeah. um, he yeah. he has it. But um, other times, sometimes he's just a little light. But that's that's a personal thing. I'm not coming after Harrison Ford. He's a good actor. And that's the thing. Harrison Ford's also a very good actor. Harrison Ford, if you're listening, Mr. Ford, <laughs> if you are listening right now, get the fuck to Madison, Wisconsin. We want to have a word with you. I don't want to have a word with Mr. Mr. Harrison Ford. I mean, I Ford. guess I'd like to talk with Harrison Ford. That'd I don't know what nice. I'd talk to Harrison, Harrison Ford about. Harrison Ford, this is an official, aggressive invitation to appear on our podcast. I would ask Harrison Ford if I should listen to Velvet Underground already. <laughs> If you would like to be on the podcast, please add me on Facebook. I would have him pierce my ear. That'd be cool. <laughs> Good. I like that one. Yeah. I'd make pancakes with him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, it doesn't have to be like a, we're making breakfast the other thing, but like, like we've been hanging out for a little bit and we're going to get a little crazy and we're going to do breakfast for dinner. Are you making like pancakes for two or like pancakes for the whole family? Like the whole house is getting pancakes. We're cooking for a group of intimate friends okay there's, there's like five or six of us and we all know each other really well okay and so harrison and i are like <laughs> harrison and i are like we're gonna go make some pancakes and maybe get some syrup so it's like 45 house. minutes or so of you guys making pancakes but then you get to come out and just like everyone's enjoying pancakes he's wearing an apron everyone's too full so no one wants to get out of yeah, the chairs exactly. for two or three hours and like they can still be having a conversation while we're in the kitchen doing our thing but they can sort of float back and forth if they want and see what we're doing so we feel included too nice the yeah. mental image of harrison ford 
wearing an apron is so sweet. Is it like frilly with like paisley patterns on it? No, it's just like that's what I'm seeing. It's just like old. It's just like grandpa apron. I've got I've got him in a kiss the cook, but he's got little plaid mittens on. So it's okay. Why would you need mittens to make pancakes? That's on the griddle. Hey, he's keeping them warm in the oven. Yes, I guess. So Vin Diesel. So Vin Diesel. I mean. As much as I could have the exact same fantasy about Vin Diesel wearing a Kiss the Cook apron. Oh, oh, that's the thing that he actually does, Yeah, he does. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's a very realizable... That's attainable felicity right there. Um, uh, But no, um, I mean, he's got a lot more star power than, like, for example, this is another person who I like, but, like, you know, this is someone who's come up as a result, so I feel okay bringing them up as just not having the same kind of star power. Keanu Reeves just does not like carry the same sort of star power as Vin Diesel does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at this point, I, I think at this point in the '90s, definitely. But I don't know. Because really? like I'm thinking about like even like if I'm thinking about like a great movie like like The Matrix. Even, yeah. Like that's not being carried by Keanu. In I guess you're right. He's yeah. kind of washed out in it. Whereas like Vin yeah. Diesel, even though he's supposed to be on the sideline, I think is, is doing a like Lawrence Fishburne level of carrying. I think movie. that's. I think that's more of. Of. I think that speaks more to the strength of the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Where in Matrix you have Lawrence Fishburne and uh, other people that I can't and. Yeah. Uh, Joey Pants. Joey Pants, and also Hugo Weaving. That's true. Oh, well, so let's let's start. Uh, that, that was the next thing I wanted to move on to after Vin Diesel, because I think obviously we've, we've spent a little time talking about Paul Walker, too. Yeah. Um, but out of the ensemble of these movies, are there, like, characters that you actually would pick out as, like, ones you're excited to see again, or, like, ones who I can tell you that, like, hey, that person's not coming back and you're going to be either disappointed or, like, stoked not to see somebody again. Y'all know that I have a giant crush on uh, the love interest in the first one. Rosario so. Dawson? No, God. <laughs> <laughs> you asshole. All right. Uh, Jackson's <laughs> leaving the room. No, no. Jackson uh-huh. has come back. Uh, we missed you, Jackson. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to yeah. make it sound like I edited it there, so, like, you actually left the room and I had to cut it out. <laughs> And now that I've said this, the people will never know what the truth is. Uh, so, so Jordana Brewster. Yeah, Jordana uh, Brewster. As, uh, Mia Toretto. Mia, who is Mia Toretto. I just think is great uh, as a as a love interest. Uh, she's not very interesting in the first one at all, but whatever. Uh, I think that uh, Jesse in the first film is <laughs> yeah, great. He is really fun. He doesn't show up in any of the other ones, though. He, Jesse is is Jesse not the one who gets shot? Oh yeah, he yeah. does die. Yeah, <laughs> like no, he, he dies. He, yeah, Johnny trying to get him in a drive by. I forget. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's so, too bad that Jesse is coming back because he's super. He is actually great. really fun. Like he's Jesse Pinkman before Jesse Pinkman. Like <laughs> and so much sweeter. Yeah, and like like a much better person. <laughs> he's like, uh, so nice. Like he found a surrogate family that wasn't a homicidal meth dealing high school teacher, and he fit in, and it helped him a lot. Yeah, and he's. He's the positive universe version of Jesse Pinkman. Yeah, it's really funny. He actually is, like, right on the caliber of those, like, side characters in Breaking Bad that I like. Like, you know, he's not he's not necessarily, like, one of the best characters. I'm not trying to say that he's, like, super well-developed or, like, has this great arc or anything like that. Yeah. But, like, just when he showed up on screen, I was probably about as excited as, like, maybe not specifically Bob Odenkirk, but close. Yeah. Like, he, he yeah, was no. kind of that kind of fun. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I would totally love to see, like, if Jesse was still alive. That'd be really cool. Um, and then, 
I mean, Tyrese is just a goofball, and I think that'd be really fun. And then uh, Ludacris isn't in the second one enough, in yeah, my opinion. it's true. So, Ludacris should be good, in the second yeah. one way more. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's funny. A lot of people really don't like Tyrese. <clears throat> In really? like the early, I mean, in the earlier movies, they find him super grating. He's basically. not good. He's not good, but he's funny as fuck. I think the when difference between if you can enjoy Too Fast or not is based guess, on yeah. whether or not you can tolerate Tyrese. I was, I could see him very being... drunk by the yeah. point where we started watching. <laughs> That's that. also worth mentioning, just for context. We are recording this one weekend or two, two. after two, two weekends after we actually watched the movies because our schedules got fucked yeah. and also we started all three of them in a marathon at 11 in the morning and our friend Olivia brought most of the fix scenes <laughs> and then after those were gone we just kind of kept drinking yeah. so, uh, so so if this episode seems a little hazy it's the, because we were the, I, I was drunk it is the veil of time and also Alcohol. 11 o'clock drinking. Yeah. So I, will, I will add one more. Uh, 11 a.m. This is a good yeah. time to bring it up. Um, just, hey, we've got other people who have heard we're doing this, and they're like, I want in. Yeah. They're like, we we got to... And I'm like, I'm feeling good about it because I'm like, we got to build the familia. Trace, <laughs> Trace has already demanded that he sit in on 4, uh, 5, and 6. Yeah. Yes. So. Right. Like, let's build the familia. Let's I make it grow. Yeah, and then Olivia and I. The more and more we can get this sense of family going family. through this together. I hope Olivia wants to come back. I threw a bag of tea at her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There might be a reason I didn't fight harder for us to watch that movie this weekend. I drank most of her uh, terrible champagne, so... <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. But, but no, yeah, Tyrese, like, I could totally see where he would be too much for somebody. He's so, like projecting the character that I think, like you said, is very 2002, like that is a type of masculinity that was very prominent in oh, the yeah. early 2000s, oh, and it would be very easy to be sick of it, especially revisiting the film, mm-hmm. but like, I would rather overcorrect in that direction than under, like, under-season that character, and have Paul Walker <laughs> be the one who has to provide the personality in the fucking movie, Yeah, because that, be that would be so bland. Yeah. yeah. That would be so mm-hmm. nothing. I would so much rather have a character who is maybe going too far, but is at least something to engage with. I guess yeah. that, is a, that is a really interesting point. Like, Paul Walker is not the personality in these films. No. He no. is the protagonist, but he is not the interesting part of them, Yeah, which I think is one of the big strong suits of these movies yeah, is that absolutely. like is that the lead character is like held up by very good or not very but like interesting side characters and it's interesting the cast continues to expand oh yeah and like the nice thing about it is that the only white dude kind of remains Paul Walker yeah. at some point. Yeah, there's, they don't really add any more white people except for Lucas Black, who doesn't come back until the seventh oh, one. Thanks. Oh, he, no. He's not a he's not a lead. No. He has he, he a cameo about as long as Vin Diesel's in Tokyo Drift, actually. Does it involve him? Well, Vin, like... Di- Vin Diesel's white, but he is... He's mixed. He, he says he? he doesn't know really, oh, really quite what his heritage is, and I he considers him a pers- himself a person of color. I did not realize that. Um, I don't remember what he like specifically would say that he is, but huh. he considers himself a person of color. I was unaware of that. Um, anyway, anyway, um, you know, it it helps that like as a result, they've never like the closest they come to trying to push Paul Walker as the most interesting character in the movie kind of is too fast. Yeah, that's true. Where, you know, like, and again, it helps, actually, because he ends up learning how to be a better actor from it, and then by the time that he's going to return in these next movies, um, he has a little more talent to actually kind of 
give something to the movies and then yeah. also still like be in a position where he's like but I know that I'm like along for the ride in, in some sense uh, I'm lucky ride. that Vin Diesel really likes me yeah that's but yeah um I, I, I think it's interesting that you, you I'm glad that y'all like Tyrese because we're gonna get a lot of Tyrese yes. he ain't gonna shut up alright yeah we hungry for Tyrese <laughs> um Austin anyone Worth mentioning. I mean, we talked about him at the time, but the FBI dude who has an absolute personality swap. <laughs> oh, oh my god! So, oh yes, that was incredible. Oh. It's the weirdest. Like, it's the only thing in the entire series that like totally breaks the continuity from one movie to the next. It goes from uptight, uptight yeah. FBI supervisor. Like, it's maybe. I'm not sure if it's racist for me to draw this comparison, but it's what I'm thinking. Like, in the first one, he's doing a riff on Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon, where he's, like, the serious one, and he's yeah. tired of this shit. Yeah. And then in the second one, he's kind of like, oh, it's you again. I love you guys. Come on, <laughs> yeah. let's hang out. For some reason, he's hanging out in Miami, like, with a fucking, with motherfuckers at a goddamn, at a goddamn, uh... Come on, dude, let's do stuff. It's, it's Battle down Royale. to the wardrobe. Demolition in Derby. the first yeah. one, he's wearing... He's just his Magnum P.I. <laughs> in the second one. <laughs> Second one, he's got the... First one, he's wearing a full suit all the time. Second one, he's got the Hawaiian shirt, the cargo shorts. He's got a bag of, like, peanuts or popcorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. It's like, what's up, dude? Let's do some FBI shit. Here's a badge. Let's go. Completely fucking different. And it's like... like, And he's just there, hanging out, like... uh, Looking like watching a demolition, <laughs> and then watching them fight. In yes, the, in <laughs> like not afterwards. stopping it, just coming down afterwards, just like, hey guys, let's do this. And I mean, I know that I know that Paul Walker like says like, hey, whatever happens here, like just let it fly. But like the way it actually goes down, it's a pretty serious fight. Yeah. And this dude did not seem like the type to actually be down to just let it ride. But in the second one, he's like, ah oh, man. Are you gonna get me a beer or not? Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like a perfect tonal shift because it's just like they realize like oh, we don't need this kind of serious energy in this movie. Right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a total read to the movie. I think that they were just like they knew they were making a different kind of goofier, more yeah. over the top flick. Yeah. Um, so anyway. I'm not like. I'm not hoping that his character is expanded on and we get a bunch of backstory and he becomes integral to the plot. I'm just curious to see what new iterations of him, what regenerations of him will come up in the later films if they do at all. He might be in the fourth one, but around the fifth one, they're no longer operating in the United States, so he really doesn't have a lot of say on Isn't what's the going Rock on. FBI? No. I thought The Rock was FBI. No, it's way better. Oh, we'll get well. there, but... Okay. Okay. Well, uh, jumping ahead of ourselves. I did really enjoy You Can Also Date the Movie by the character actors in it. The mm-hmm. crooked cop from Batman Begins is also a crooked cop in this one. Yeah. Which yeah, is that's great. True. Uh I just thought that was really interesting. Like it's he's literally the same dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, and he's the one with the rat thing. Yeah. That's right. He's literally yeah. the same dude. <laughs> yeah. God, the rat scene. Um Ah man, maybe we should just like divert at that point. I, I guess Han also. Uh, Han's great. Han's great, yeah. and we'll look forward to him more. Did you guys enjoy Drift question. King as much as I do? Because I love Drift King. Yeah. No, I, I I, think that, I mean, the characters in Tokyo Drift are dumb as fuck. Like, they don't make any sense, really. Like, they are literally just stereotypes, to, yeah. for the most part. Like, much like they are in the rest of the movies, but this, like... It's a, it's less considered. Yeah, they're, they're like, they don't care, really. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I, I enjoy just how... 
I, I enjoy how visual Tokyo Drift is, and yeah. I, I enjoy how much fun it is for the action. Yeah. Everything else is like... Okay, cares. so Drift King doesn't stand out to you as Not a character. Really. No, I think okay. Lil Bow Wow does. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not much just because he's goddamn Lil Bow Wow and he drives an incredible Hulk car. Yeah. Is he in any of the other ones? <laughs> oh, no, he's oh, gone. man. Um, he might, I mean, he might, I don't think he could show up in that, like, Tokyo Drift cameo. I, just because... I would love that. It would just be, he would be so much older. Like, it's... it's <laughs> oh, not, my God, yeah, I guess, like, yeah. Luke is black, like, it looks hilarious when they try to pretend that this is, like, minutes after the end of Tokyo Drift. <laughs> oh, yeah, Tokyo Drift takes place in the future. I forgot about that, too. <laughs> so, like, when he returns in Furious 7, it's gonna be following up from the last minute of Tokyo Drift, yeah. and Luke is black as to shoot a new scene in 2014 <laughs> to, oh, to do it. And that's pretty hilarious. Yeah. But, um, no, uh, he's, he's probably not coming back. I, I, if it would, he would be, like, in the background. Of I would scene. really enjoy that. Um, I, I got a thing I want to talk about. Go ahead. Rare. Austin's taking the reins, everyone. Look out. Pass him. Uh, I want to talk about the settings, actually, because I think they're each in really distinct cities, mm-hmm. and yeah. the way that the cities function is really unique to each film, especially Tokyo Drift, which I want to get to, but, like, L.A., it's not, like, Hollywood glossy, like, it's not the usual visualization of L.A., like, no, it's, it's sort of suburby East, like, East L.A. Yeah, like, Echo Park East. Yeah. Sort of. And so, like, I think that really, it sells the, the familia part of yeah. it, the, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's scrappy, and it's not pretty, and, but... But it's a place where people could actually... Like, they don't overshoot. They don't accidentally make Friday. Exactly. (laughs) Right. But, like, you believe that this is an area that these people have connections to and they care about, and you believe that this is where they would live and this is how they would have to live there. Right. And so, like, it feels like it has its culture very internalized and it, like, has a strong sense of being rooted in that environment to me. And then Too Fast, Too Furious, <laughs> they're like, hey, we're going to make a glossy, silly, stupid film of its day. But it's set in Miami. Miami's the city that looks that way. Yeah, like, exactly. The shiny, like the palm trees, the white... Neon. The neon, the white skyscrapers, all of that. The burn notice aesthetic, as yeah. I come to think of it. This, swamp, this swampy yeah. part but we, of the like, end. Even compared like, to burn notice, we need 700 people in the frame. All the time. Yeah. We cannot, like, chill about this, like, being a realistic version of exactly, Miami. Yeah. This needs to get messy. It's... According to this film, Miami is always on the verge of burning itself down, <laughs> and it is only by the grace of burning Paul itself. Walker that the city is still standing. Street racers <laughs> run this town for some <laughs> fucking reason. Ludacris is the fucking mayor, as far as <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, man, Ludacris's grip on street racing in this city is... He's just, like, hanging out behind his uh, his auto shop, yeah. and there are yachts, like, being just driven around, and, like, maybe get... Like, do they crash into each other? Yeah, like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's just like, ah, this is the version of Miami we want. Where, like, the first one is, like, like, yeah, it's pretty grounded. It's, I mean, it's like, okay, it's grounded in the sense that it exists in a place and then has fantastical things happen. Yeah. Whereas Miami in Too Fast, Too Furious is, like, already Gotham City level of silly. Yeah. Um, And then Tokyo. And then Tokyo. That's, That's what I want to ask you guys about because I don't know what that movie thinks about Tokyo. I don't... Is Justin Lin 
Korean American, Japanese American? Do we know what his? Oh, like, I, I wish I I, I should know, but I don't remember how he if he has any sort of connection with Japanese culture or not because like it feels really alien and it like it's just using. I there are so weird ideas of so Tokyo. Everything that I know about real life in Tokyo, it's pretty small, but it's still like it actually is an interesting version of that because it does show kind of a it has like the two different parts like it has the like crazy uh harajuku uh like like uh japanese yeah. uh, bubblegum pop like every everything's going crazy like we got street racing that kind of thing but then it also has the mountains like uh and uh, the That's harbor. True. It does have like the nature. It shows. It shows like the reality of Japan and like stuff around this crazy part of the city. Yeah. And it also like it also explains a little bit of the city. Like when they're driving past the the cops and they're like, "Well, they're not going to get us because they can't." Yeah. And it's like it just kind of explains a little bit more of the culture, which is good for Americans. But it's like uh, it makes sense in this movie that is structurally it's basically the Karate Kid. Yeah, if you were to compare, Actually, yeah. like, it's a, it's a what is Tokyo Drift, yeah. it's kind of the karate kid. Wait, is, is Han... <laughs> that uh, was, right, and Han is Mr. the one Miyagi? who's teaching him how to get around the yeah. city and right. drift and sending him on his errands, okay. literally. <laughs> like... Yeah, I, I, think it's a, I, I think it's a really cool kind of combination of the first and second movies, where the first movie is like, oh, this is L.A., and we know it's L.A., and it's not, like, some dumbed-down version of Hollywood. And it makes it... That makes the street racing feel exceptional for yeah. that city. Yeah, exactly. It feels like people breaking the law. Yeah. Uh, Basically, what I was trying to get to, I think I found a way to say it, the whole way that the film shows Los Angeles feels like the scene in the garage where Vin Diesel is telling Paul Walker about his dad's car, and there's, like, the dust like caught in the beams of light and everything yeah. and it feels very warm and very homey and like lived in is such a like yeah. cliched thing that people usually apply to science fiction but it feels the movie feels at home in Los Angeles mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think it does in Miami or in Tokyo and I think part of that is intentional for Tokyo especially yeah. because yeah, well, yeah, they he's... have an outsider yeah. coming mm -hmm. to this place um, and they're trying, uh, you know, a lot of it is trying to capture just like a, huh, this is a really weird city. And yeah, you really would get lost if you were trying to go to school your first day and couldn't read any of the signs. But I do think there is a transition, though, right. like, especially in the scene in the mountains where, like, yeah. it just kind of, it moves over to now he's comfortable. And by the end of the movie, like, he is, like, yeah. he's drifting. Cool. Which I, I, think, I, th I think that's really interesting, though, because... That didn't have to be unique to Tokyo. Like, they could yeah. have done that in the first one on Mulholland Drive or in the hills. Yeah. yeah. Like, they had that there, and they just chose to keep it in, like, suburban residential parts of Los Angeles where you're like, and that oh, one, a bunch of people live here. Yeah, and that one beachy yeah. sort of drive. But, yeah, they pretty much avoid landmarks in the first. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, the third one is interesting... Because I've I've spent I, I don't I've never been to Tokyo I've I've never no, done sure. like a real like deep dive research on Tokyo but I I watch a lot of Japanese shit um, <laughs> anime and otherwise like I, I just do so I know I know some things about Tokyo and one thing that was bizarre uh, what one thing that stands out to me of like why it feels alien is because. Tokyo, even as much so as L.A., is a city in districts that are distinctly yeah, different true. from each other. That's very true. And so when you talk about, like, yeah, it has this Harajuku bubblegum thing, and I'm like, 
Yeah, but it doesn't really have a sense of whether or not that's Shibuya or Akihabara. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really try to grapple with some of like the neighborhood aspect. Whereas the thing that makes the LA setting feel so realized is that it, it's set in this mm-hmm. kind of one neighborhood, yeah. and then they go to a couple of other ones, and that is a feeling that they are leaving their neighborhood to go to a different place. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and then also they go to the absolutely hilarious setting of Race Wars. Uh, oh, yeah, Race Wars. <laughs> race Wars, yes. Um, and, oh, and that's no. an amazing location for a movie. Oh, do we have time yeah. to talk about Race Wars? <laughs> we probably do. But, you know, they, they do get at some very specific things about Tokyo, I think. Um, you know, like, I feel like the crowding in the streets is very realistic to photography I've seen in Tokyo. They do pachinko. Um, the pachinko parlor is, like, really per- pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Like the like, And again, this is something that you can get wrong if you're building a set in America where you don't have the pachinko parlor, like, tight enough because yeah. you're worried about making it too claustrophobic for your mm-hmm. kind of breezy action movie. Yeah. But in this movie, they're like, no, we have to get that right. We need the vending machines in the right places. It needs to look the way that, like, if you care about this stuff, you're going to look at it and be like, yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't ever really... It doesn't know Tokyo the way that that first movie yeah. knows L.A. Yeah. Um, but it is it aware does. enough that I'm looking at it and going, oh, that's like an actual detail that other things would mm-hmm. miss. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, which is more so than it feels like Miami is getting represented. That <laughs> Miami is literally just like, uh, yeah, neon. It's a cartoon bayou highway. Neon sand and palm trees. Let's do it. All right. Right. Uh, let's have some weird country cops, I guess. Like, <laughs> oh, it's man. very strange. Do some Dukes of Hazard shit because we think that Miami is, is maybe it's in the uh, South. It's not. It's, the, not, it's not North Florida. It's not North Florida yet, but it's still the South. I guess. Uh, oh man. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm. I. I was. Let's talk about like the action and like th- actually just like thrills or like plots of these movies just like the basic stuff that is like entertainment in these movies do you think all three like uh, we can just kind of go movie by movie does the first one have stuff that stands out to you as like oh that totally worked that was really entertaining yes. that was a good twist or something like that like basics I think specifically in contrast to the opening race, which we pointed out, and I don't think we specifically mentioned, he uses so much like boost on his car that he it starts <laughs> to CGI fall apart, yeah. and it's ridiculous and kind of cheesy. Yeah. Especially in contrast to that, the semi-heist that they attempt, where it goes wrong because the driver has a shotgun, <laughs> and so they need to like rescue characters off of the roof of the truck and yeah. shit. Like, You can tell that it's predominantly practical effects yeah there's like a really there are really clearly articulated emotional beats and like Mm. it's I don't want to like go over the top with praising it because again we were drinking a little bit (laughs) yeah it was action I was like wow this is just really cool (laughs) and I under like but even there you understand how all of the characters motivations and what they're bringing into the scene are shaping how they're behaving and the significance of when Paul Walker decides to put in the effort to save the guy who's been shitty to him in the group the whole time. Yeah. And, like, why Michelle Rodriguez keeps pushing herself. Yeah. And 
I think it actually it articulates a lot of really nice story beats within a really really well executed action sequence. Yeah. If if we bring it back to Lethal Weapon a little bit, because um, why wouldn't we? Well, I know I feel like I feel like Paul Walker's like the the whole cop thing. It's it's a little bit different, but it, it does kind of follow a similar progression. Um, you I mean you don't find out that he's a cop for a while and like or it's not as important. Are you thinking of Point Break? I'm thinking of Lethal Weapon because that's just a uh, two cops. I know, I know, okay. but Lethal Weapon specifically, like it's it's very like he's doing his job and then gets in trouble, continues to try to help, and then in the yeah. end does without permission what he's supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, but like with like with friends, yeah. and so I think it's um, I think it follows a very familiar storyline, um, but it does it in a really interesting way that is not. Wasn't before this wasn't really seen before like, yeah. um, and I think uh, the first one is genuinely one of my favorite action movies. Yeah, it's just it's like solid in every single way. It's up there yeah. with Lethal Weapon for me. Yeah, it's really um, it's yeah, it's just a, it's funny in parts, it's ridiculous in others, and it's yeah, it's just kind of classic and, and like it's sweet. It's great. got a lot yeah. of emotional texture there. You care a lot about these people, even the totally. shitty ones. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. The only thing I would add to that is, for me, all of the cop sort of double-crossy stuff, that almost felt like ancillary, and like it was just there to keep yeah. pushing the dramatic elements of the movie, That's so true. it wasn't just two, not quite two hours of Paul yeah. Walker joining this gang. Yeah, just him <laughs> joining this gang, and you learning to like these characters mm -hmm. and understand them and get to live in this world with them. Like, in the, like, the cop stuff had to be there in the interest of having a dramatic structure where, like... Towards the end of the, you know, around the two-thirds mark, you know, Vin Diesel has to find out that he's undercover and there has to be some falling out there, just in the interest of making it a movie. Right. But it never felt like that was what the movie was about to me. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and I think that where the first, the Fast and the Furious kind of gets a lot of its points is that it gets specifics, Right. Where it's like in large beats, maybe these like, oh, this is kind of a scene you've seen before, this is kind of a scene you've seen before. But like, the dude who plays the shitty, like, mad dog guy in the scene where they're actually asking Paul Walker if he's a cop, he's going for it. <laughs> he's, he's like really just yelling, he's barking, he is not like generic in that moment. I can distinctly remember the way he's like, he's a cop! <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> That dude's um, nuts. Or, like, you know, the scene where they have to hide in the garage because Johnny Tran has shown up. Yes. And it's this, like, ridiculous, like, embarrassing the guy by, like, covering him in oil and, like, making him kiss your shoes. And the way that he delivers, like, the, like, the kiss your shoes thing is so tacky, but the way he says it, kiss my shoes. <laughs> like, yeah. he just whispers it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this has just occurred to me. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, oh man, that's so cruel. Like, that's the thing. In those little beats, yeah. that's where the first one really ends up yeah. singing. It's just like, it gets a lot of small things right. And that makes all yeah. of these, you know, parts that you maybe feel like Cliché, you've seen before yeah. come together. And then, of course, yeah, the, the two main, like, marquee action sequences are really good. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a really fully realized world like they thought through every aspect of it and it feels you know it feels lived for these characters it right. feels like all of the stakes are always there in a way that they aren't for a lot of action movies these days I feel yeah and maybe that's part of the serialization of like oh you know Captain America's gonna survive because they've already announced the fucking sequel or whatever right. but 
Yeah. This one you care so much and it feels serious and real and and it's down to like here's here's something that I'm thinking about like when I'm thinking about that opening, the real opening, which is uh, the truck heist. Yeah. Uh, done correctly, mm-hmm. basically. And the thing is, not only is it just like, oh, it's really fun to watch these people do their jobs very well, and then, like, later... And it, it provides a context where it's like, when you see them trying to do the exact same moves on the truck later, and then it goes so horribly wrong you understand why they would do it that way in the first place because you've watched it go flawlessly. And on top of that, you're watching it happen again, but the camera is, like, calm enough and, like, knows where to be and just knows how to chill out and, like, let this scene be cool rather than, like, try to hype it up. Like, you know, we're right on the onset of uh, Greengrass doing his his Born Identity movies. Um, And uh, I think Lyman actually does the first Born Identity. I think Doug Lyman directs the first Born Identity, and then Greengrass takes over for Supremacy and Ultimatum. I think you're right, actually. Um, But he's holding back on that stuff in this movie. He's very calm with it, and it it makes it so when you're watching the same scene again, not only is it like just fun to watch this sort of the same choreography go through again Mm -hmm. until it all goes wrong, but it's calm enough. That it's like it allows the tre- the dread to build up because you know it ain't gonna go right this time because yeah. it's too still. There's no reason they would do this twice if it was gonna be this chill. Um, but yeah, just down to that like that level of just quality execution, it, it ends up feeling lived in because these characters are professionals. They're yeah. doing their fucking jobs. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving Let's on to Too Fast, Too, too Furious. Fast, too furious it's the opposite it's of that. action movie element. It is Michael Bay light. Man. Was I, Michael Bay on the scene at this? He had to have been because he oh, yeah. had The Rock and everything. The Rock's was happened. The Bad Bay? Boys has happened. Okay. I don't know if Bad Boys 2 that has happened. That was my yet. question because if he's the Michael Bay that we have now I think it's versus... right around the same time okay. as Bad Boys 2 is going to happen. Armageddon's happened. Um, but that's not like... Yeah. That's not low-angle spin-the-fucking-camera <laughs> like it's on a carousel Michael Bay yet. Right. This is very music video. Yeah. Like, it's exactly. very... And, and I oh, mean, yeah. you know, John Singleton's pulling from, you know, like... Hip-hop videos. Hip-hop videos and, and black movies, too, of the 80s and 90s. And that's... I mean, he helped found what the aesthetic for those was going to be with Boys in the Hood. So it makes sense that those techniques are showing up in that mo- in this movie, but it's very, very different. It creates a totally different feel. I think it's because, A, those movies in the 80s and 90s usually weren't given access to the type of budget that he has here, yeah. and as sort of like as a symptom or a like sister or whatever of that, they were never really like this type of big goofy action movies like they were smaller budget they were independent they had to struggle just to get to exist so they had more of like the need to be about something yeah this one he's got the money Mm -hmm. he can do whatever he wants he has a playground and he's gonna fucking play bad boys 2 came out the same year wow 2003 wow yeah it definitely shows a change bad year for miami (laughs) yeah (laughs) they Um, went through some shit but like you know, down to that, I mean, there's a moment that somehow, I can't believe I forgot it. It was like the only thing I remembered about Too Fast, Too Furious is We, we hungry, hungry, the fight in front of the Demolition Derby yeah. while Chill FBI's eating his popcorn. So good. And uh, 
I remembered um, the where the fuck are the they actual Dukes of Hazard jump? Oh yeah, yeah. I remembered that yeah, part too. The part where they jump the fucking car into the yacht. <laughs> I remembered that. That was pretty awesome. Like, like no one gets hurt. Like everyone's fine. Um, uh, the only reason yeah. they didn't have the fucking like Confederate flag on the car was because it was Tyrese, and Tyrese was like, "No, we can't do no, that." No, we can't. You know what? It's really funny. The end of Too Fast, Too Furious actually is like the prequel to the huge, uh, like, world-ending fast scene in Fast Five. Okay. We'll get there, but, like, down to just, like, walkie-talkies and not quite giving all the information away because you know someone's listening in. Um, it's it's all in there um, in that movie, but that movie's doing it in a completely different way. But um, I want to point out that this movie has cars with ejector seats in it. Yeah! Oh, Jesus Christ, I forgot about that. Um, oh, wow. Oh, wow, yeah. But This uh, movie is... There's that this one... Is a silly film. The moment that I could not, like, believe I forgot is when they all go into the garage... Like, they go into the garages, and then hundreds of race cars yes. are pouring out, all in candy colors. And it's just this moment where you're like, wait, is this really happening? And they, like, don't even stick on it that much. It's, like, two minutes, and then it's gone, and, like, the other cars disappear. It's just this moment of splendor. If they had scored that scene to Ride of the Valkyries, I would... Oh, my God, that would be so incredible. This would be my favorite... <laughs> early 2000s film. Scrabble! <laughs> oh, man. It's just, like, it's such a wild moment. And it's, like, it's, it's too bad. impossible. Right. It's yeah. too bad because <laughs> all of the fun stuff that happens in this movie kind of bookends the movie. Uh, and then the middle of it is it's just so, a it's, It is so boring. So much exposition from characters who aren't giving interesting enough performances to care. Mm. I didn't really know who Ava Mendez's character was. She's until, supposed to be an FBI agent. Yeah. yeah. I got that, like, towards the like last third or quarter or whatever it was where she starts to, like, get embroiled in the stakes. And it's like, oh, no, she might get killed. It's like, well... He wouldn't be threatening to kill her unless she was on the other team for some reason. Yeah, it's just, it's too... Everyone's trying to be so... No one's willing to be over the top, honestly, is the problem with it. It's that, like, for some reason they thought that the actual plot of this movie needed to be full of everyone just trying to be professional, except for Tyrese occasionally just being like, I'm going to say a funny thing, and then everyone's like... Why are you saying a funny thing, Tyrese? Yeah. Um, God, this is life or death, Tyrese. But, like, the rest of the movie has this completely different vibe, except when Eva Mendez or, um, the, like, the FBI people who are trying to grill them or the uh, crime boss are on screen, and then it takes on this so serious tone. It's like watching an amateur-ishly done, like, yeah. Batman Begins like cops and mafia scene like it's, it's like just not good somebody who saw half of heat and was like oh okay i'll do that and like right. didn't actually finish it and understand how good michael mann is yeah because the other i mean the other part the part where it's laughing and like mm-hmm. ejector seats and cars pouring out of everything and ludicrous watching yachts crash into each other yeah. that stuff's genuinely pretty fun i think and it was funny i i mean it this this probably remains my least favorite too fast. Maybe Fast and Furious Four will, I will remember it and be like, "Oh, this is the least interesting one because it's just the most, like, the most generic movie in the set." Um, which is true. This is like we're 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 going to be on an upward swing, you know, okay. uh, from from yeah. Fast and Furious. Um, but like the parts that are good about Too Fast are genuinely pretty fun mm-hmm. um, and are close to the heights of oh, yeah. the other three that we've done. There are so the few and far done. between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I have two questions. Yeah. Where the fuck 
is the demolition derby scene happening? I think it's somewhere else in Florida. Is it Florida? Because it's a desert. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it looks dry. Yeah, there's it's, a desert and there's mountains. I don't think it's really clear where it's happening, but they basically have to get him off house arrest. I think arrest. it might be Vegas, but I could be totally They wouldn't wrong. have gone that far. But it's um, so without, weird. Without, like, showing us the neon sign. It's so weird. Like, you see a city... It could be Georgia or something. Just there's like no in a desert. Like, it, I mean, it's it could so be weird. a drought. Who knows? I don't know. It's very strange. But then also, uh, I noticed that all three of the movies we watched end with a classic American car. Yeah. Does that happen in all of them? You mean, like, with a character just suddenly having a well, muscle? Well, I mean, so, first one is Vin Diesel's... Oh, uh, hey, you're right. Yeah, is Vin Diesel's car. A second one, they have their two, uh, I think it's an Impala and something else. Yeah. Uh, and, like, they, I don't remember how they, they get those off of their And in three, they buds. build that muscle and, yeah, into they, a drift they build, car. They build the, uh, the Mustang. That's interesting. Is that similar in the rest of the Well, in the fourth one... We're gonna save. Yeah, we're gonna save Dad's car. Okay, because um, the d- Dad's car also shows up. Yeah, it's gonna of... show up. It's gonna show up. It's Dad's car is gonna be alive and well okay. w- with the return of Vin Diesel at some point. Right. Um, the fifth one definitely does not okay. because it has other other things in mind. All right. Um, I know that there's a tank in the fifth one. Or the sixth one, maybe? I, w- I wasn't paying that much attention to the way that... Um, I, I'm sure the sixth one actually... It, I think Dad's car shows up at the end of the sixth one. Um, right. The seventh one, I was not paying attention to the cars. There's okay. other stuff going yeah, on at that yeah, end, yeah, yeah. too. Um, but we want to try and cover Tokyo Drift real quick? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay. Um, we, we talk kind of about the characters and the... You know, the... Like, did the... Did the Karate Kid thing work for you at all? Even though Lucas Black is so dry, I'm gonna say no, just because what makes the Karate Kid so great is the like child of divorce. Like, there's a little bit of that Spielberg flavor in there, and you can feel his loneliness as a kid, and maybe the age gap between um, whoever the Karate Kid is and Lucas Black, like maybe you can feel him be a sad adolescent who just wants his parents to get along because yeah. he's closer to, like, 14 than whatever Luke's Luke's like. not supposed to be in high school. Yeah, but, he, looks like a, he looks like a grown-ass But, man. like, he, he can drive, and yeah. the kid can cry to kids running around on a bike. That's true. That's a big difference. That is. That's a very different That's true. Story. That's a very different person. So, like, you don't buy Lucas Black... You don't buy anything about Lucas Black. But, but no. like, whatever, like, angst or loneliness or whatever fallout from having parents who are divorced and one of them's in Japan, like, you know, it, like, they show this, like, such an exaggerated, fucked up relationship between his mom and dad, but there's never a sense that it has impacted him at all beyond he just wants to drive cars. Yeah. And so, no, it doesn't because the dynamic that's required for the Miyagi father figure to come in and actually have an impact on this human is not there. Han is just this super rad dude who Lucas starts hanging out with. There's nothing else to it. It's true. And and down to, you know, at the end of the movie, Lucas Black doesn't really feel like a different character yeah. at all. He, he actually, if anything, he's just gotten quieter and a little more humble, basically. Right. Um, but, like, it's just, it's not even there in the script. It's not really Lucas Black who is not bringing the, the transformation. It's just not really there. Um, did the cars work for you? They were colorful. True. 
Jackson, you like cars? I grew up with a dad and like uncles who were all super, super into cars, and I like sat in the corner and read. I so I'm gonna hand this one off to you. I like cars because of this movie, because of Tokyo. Drift. Oh shit! Uh, basically, that that movie made me fall in love with the Mustang. Basically, like I so I started. If we're gonna go through no, this a little bit, uh, so Top Gear is one of my favorite television shows. Uh, however, Jeremy Clarkson is a dick. I, I understand. Um, <laughs> Thanks for and, covering uh, our bases. So yeah, we don't get a bunch of hate mail. Yeah, and uh, and I know that like, and I I played racing games as a child on on yeah. the PlayStation and everything. So um, this movie was kind of an extension for that for me, and I really really love Japan. And so this film, if to me the Lucas Black is totally not important to this movie. Yeah. It's all about the setting, and it's all about the action and drifting, and it's not about what this dumb white guy does. It's about what happens around him yeah. and, and what happens to him, uh, and less about what that's, he does. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because now I'm like imagining a version of this movie that I think would be way better so, which shows out a lot of the dialogue and like maybe it plays up that sort of alienation of like he's in a foreign land type thing and it turns into mostly just cars moving the way the gone in 60 seconds is yeah so that would be a fucking good tokyo are trip. we so th it came out in 2005 right yeah yeah, yeah. so i was i was eight or nine years old yeah. and so for me this is like super this is part of the reason why i'm super like that why i really like japan as an idea of like it this like ideal like kind of Technologic, like right. technologically advanced uh, utopia. It's a, it, they the neon takes it to the it's, point of Blade Runner. Yeah, it's <laughs> but it uh, for me this movie is yeah it's way more about the cars and the culture and less about the characters, which yeah. is in the other movies. Yeah, uh, and I do really really enjoy that. Yeah, uh, and I mean it's it has actually been a while since I saw this because I had to leave before I could watch it with you guys. Yeah, but like. And so this might be some nostalgia talking, but I actually really do like this movie mostly because it looks really cool. The setting is very interesting and the action is really, really great because it's not something you ever saw. Like yeah. drifting was not a thing in America, like to, to that extent, like it was becoming a thing at that point. Right. And so it, it's, it's a very new thing. Uh, and it was... Yeah, I, I really, really do enjoy it. I enjoy it, too, and I think for me, you know, it helps that I do actually really enjoy Drift King in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, I think he's a fun little, like, pissy character oh, yeah. who then gets shut down in entertaining ways. I think he he pulls off the, like, he brings back sort of the wrestling villain persona mm -hmm. that, that was Tran. so missing in uh, Too Fast. Yeah. Um, he's getting up in people's faces. You're like... Just kiss already, <laughs> <laughs> and it it really does help that movie have a sense of energy to it yep. because I think the pro I mean if there's a real problem with it it's that it's not just Lucas Black who's kind of weak the other two characters in yeah. his high school trinity are just as weak Bellows, um, their boring. performances are better the girl is just there um, she's there to oh we haven't even talked about the way these movies deal with women holy yeah. shit yeah we'll get to that's Good gonna God. be a we we're might. gonna get to that in 4, 5, and 6 because it's way dramatically weirder really yeah, just to jump right. but just to jump into that quick Olivia and I were both like outraged about the way that Tokyo Drift treats its love interest yeah, yeah. we were 
she just she's there to be this mysterious thing for Lucas to sometimes pine after and yeah. go on drives with. Yeah, yeah it totally fetishizes yeah. the Asian women, which is really, really shitty. Yeah. Um, I that's the thing. There's just not that much to comment on yeah. in, in regard to its sexual politics. There's a lot of at this point troubling. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of troubling imagery, but you the I mean, only positive thing you can say about any of its sexuality is that Michelle Rodriguez seems like a sexually super, empowered character totally. in the first one. But then, I mean, you also do have to remember that this is 2001 to 2005. It which was is music video central, rap music true. video central, which is like very objectification of women just like every single piece of media at that point in popular culture that's was not thinking of women first yeah uh, or at all really yeah um and they were basically just there as scenery it's and i mean it's certainly worth considering and thinking about how we take in the movie Mm -hmm. though um it is also car culture in general as well i mean that's the thing we it's gonna get weirder before it like starts to actually mend. I think. Uh, well, uh, that'll be a fun conversation. Uh, let's let's bookmark that one because okay. we there's a lot less to say about locations um, in the later ones. Okay. Fast and Furious is a return to L.A. Um, and Fast and Furious Six is the first globe trotter in the series. We have multiple settings in that one. Sevens in Dubai. Um, five is distinctly Rio, and we're going to have to talk Ooh. about Rio in that movie, because okay. it is fun. Interesting. Um, but the other ones, that's going to get... We're, we can skip that stuff. Okay. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. Um, yeah. But, you know, if there's a problem with that movie, it's that that core trinity, none of them are compelling. The most interesting yeah. stuff is all on the sidelines. It makes you wish that this was a mo- the, the movie that he got to make was kind of just his like high-budget sequel to Better Luck Tomorrow, where it's where only, it's only Asian people. I would actually really um, like that. And, yeah, it, you know, I, I do actually like a lot of things about Tokyo Drift. I think that the way it shoots its action is um, very cool. Very, it's it's video gamey without all the way going into just mm-hmm. like there are no stakes, especially because it bothers to actually have characters crashing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's glossy in a way that's really visually interesting and, you know, it moves the plot along just quickly enough that there are, there is a sense that there are beats in this movie. Yeah, it's not slow. Uh, It's a a little slow. I think that the, towards the end, it gets a little slow. It's really that, like, middle 45 where it's, like, kind of just, well, are you gonna, like, date me or date him? And... You know, Lil Bow Wow deserves um, to be in on everything, and it's just like none of that is very interesting. I, yeah. Um, and and there's too much of that stuff in that middle part, but overall, I I think it's still mm-hmm. pretty entertaining. But we're only gonna go bigger from here, and I'm gonna say after the fourth one, which I just honestly it it I I only saw it like three years ago. Like, I've only seen any of these movies as of three years ago, other than Fast Five. Um, I really remember nothing distinct about the fourth one, so it'll be as much a discovery to me as to (laughs) y'all. All Um, All right. But I know we're on an upward trajectory from there. It only gets better from here. Um, Cool, yeah. Anything else anyone wants to say before we close out on the first three? We'll come back to all of them with Seven. the finale, yeah. Yeah. Um, I still maintain that these movies are good. Yeah, they're... I was not expecting 
like the really genuinely strong emotional texture of the first one. I think they're much more about relationships. Like I had been told by you and Aden and everyone that like it's about family, and I hadn't really understood what that meant. No, it's I'm literally. Sta I'm starting to get it. Right. I'm starting to understand it, mm -hmm. and I'm really, really liking it. Also, really quick note. One of the things that I really like about it, it takes loss of life super seriously. Yeah. It's not callously killing people at all. Human yeah. life has weight, and it is not dispensable. It's, that is true. It is not a... And I think part of why Too Fast, Too Furious is the one that works least for me is because that is the one that steps closest to the line yeah. of just, like, killing mooks in the background as a way of, like, raising the stakes. Yeah. It is not a 2000s action movie where everyone dies with no bloodshed. It's not blood-born identity. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Yeah, deaths have meaning to these people, and yeah, you're right. The second one has these like, oh, let's just throw this guy out of this car and I not mean, even down what to, to you know, you're watching the first one, and it's like it, the restraint in like Vin Diesel didn't kill someone. Yeah, he's an ex-con because he beat someone, mm -hmm. um, and they take that like very serious. Like this is a dangerous guy. Because he hurts someone, not because he's gonna kill you. Yeah. The movie doesn't have to threaten to kill you for yeah. someone to be dangerous. They like, don't use guns in their heist. And then when they finally do get to like a, a couple people die in the final like battle, in a sense, where they kill Jesse and then a couple more people end up dying. Yeah. That even like it takes a moment to be like Paul Walker just shot that guy. Yeah. Like he was a criminal who just killed his friend, but like. That's a, maybe an overstep of where he should be as a cop. Mm -hmm. And it takes a moment to, like, yeah. breathe in that. Mm -hmm. um, no, they're... To one degree or another, they're good movies. Yeah. The first one especially, I think. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll enjoy the ride from here. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to strap in. Let's <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah, I'm excited. I have not seen any of the other ones. So. Yeah. I've seen... Like, I had seen parts of two and the rest of the first and second and third, so... Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, gentlemen, let's close down on Alex Levendahl. We're not going to do recommendations? Oh, fuck, we do recommendations <laughs> on this show. I totally forgot. Um, oh, man, you're the worst host we've ever had. <laughs> He's the only host we've <laughs> ever had. Hey, hey, also the best. True. <laughs> um, yeah, we do recommendations on this show. We recommend I mean, we don't have to. No, let's do it, because I actually have one I want to recommend. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, then you can start, because I still don't have mine. <laughs> Great. I'll, yeah. go to, I'll go to you next. Okay. Um, uh I'm going to recommend a movie that I think uh, has a maligned reputation. Um, this week, for the first time, I finally capped Quentin Tarantino's filmography, and I done watched Death Proof. Yeah. And you know what? Death Proof rules. Okay. What the fuck is wrong with everybody? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, dumbfounded. Yeah, okay, the second half doesn't have enough good dialogue between the, like, the actresses you recognize more, but the first half is so fucking good at just, like, layering in such good Tarantino dialogue and just, like, being shot like kind of a 70s or 80s bar movie. And just, like, it, it really just totally gets what it should be doing tonally while also just actually getting performances and writing that, like, make it really fun to watch. Yeah. And then the second half, that's the part that usually people like better, I guess, because they, I don't know, get bored of good dialogue and, like, positive cinematography. But it also has an amazing action sequence in it. Um, 
that is really impressive when you consider it, that it's a practical action sequence. I was really impressed. I was expecting to watch Death Proof and be like, yeah, I like it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy about it. I really loved it. Um, it would be up there for me with not like the very, very top. Basically, I need to rewatch some of those older ones. Um, almost everything before Death Proof, I feel like I should rewatch, uh, except for Pulp Fiction, which I watched recently. And so far honestly is my least favorite just because it's got some weird acting quirks in it and a loose structure i like pulp fiction still like it's still a really good movie it's just my least favorite of the ones i've watched in the last year or so um so i need to rewatch reservoir dogs jackie brown and the kill bill movies but so far i think he's on a rise like it just gets better every single movie he makes down <laughs> all the way up through hateful eight which i think is a masterpiece really okay um you like it as much as your mom Hateful Eight is so fucking good. God, I enjoy it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's my yeah. That's my record. Go ahead and watch both parts of Grindhouse. I think Death Proof's the way better part. <laughs> so, Jackson, do All you? Right. Uh, I'll recommend the Paramount Vault on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You can't recommend a repository of I film. totally can. Yeah, you can. I'm no, going to go with people it. People don't okay. know about this. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Uh, okay. These like these movies are not like. So basically, Paramount occasionally will upload entire movies to their to a YouTube channel called the Paramount Vault, uh, and it is a way to legally watch uh, Paramount movies that they don't really care about anymore. I guess they don't like yeah. see DVD sales. Uh, so they're just basically putting them on here, and I think there's over there might be over a hundred at this point, um, but they are like classics of drama sci-fi uh westerns action but then also more recent stuff uh including um uh what did you're we... gonna watch masters of the universe i'm gonna watch masters of the universe uh, th- uh there i think was you a... saw jack ryan shadow recruit with chris pine there's some there there's clips of it i couldn't tell if it okay. was actually on there but it's still like they're probably getting ready to put it on there um there's also the ninja movies and american ninja yeah. movies uh, it's super, like, they've got some really, really weird stuff on there, like 40s and 50s sci-fi, which is awesome, uh, and horror, and, uh, it's, I think it's a resource for people who want to, like, maybe watch stuff that they wouldn't normally watch. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Paramount Vault. Probably gonna check that out later tonight, yeah. actually. Um, well, I guess if we're, like, taking the rules off of how recommendations actually I recommended work. food shows, like, two weeks in a row. <laughs> this yeah. is true. And I was very upset both times. They're great. All right, so I got three coming at you hot, and none of them are conventional. First one, I was really hoping to have just one clear recommendation, because last night at 11 o'clock, our theater showed Pan's Labyrinth, and I really wanted to keep loving it as much as I had and, like, strongly recommend it right now. But honestly... I'm feeling powerful yeah, as, it, as these words are coming out of his mouth. It embitters me to say it, but Alex was right. It's not as good as I thought it had been. Yes. <laughs> there are still things that I like about it a lot. I actually <clears throat> still like a lot of things about it. Some too. of the emotional beats are still really, really powerful to me. Yeah. Um, a lot of the production design, not just like, obviously the Pale Man and the Fawn are like masterpieces of costume and practical effects and right. Doug Jones is a physical performer, but like... I hadn't noticed when I was younger that the captain's office is, like, in the part of the mill where all the, like, machinery and gears are. And so there's just this giant, like, cog behind his desk that has this very, like, 
the Tim Burton Batman movies of like just way over the top cartoony production design, and I really liked that about it. Um, so there were those little touches that I thought were good, but overall, it's not what I thought it would be. So I guess I would recommend going back and rewatching it and reevaluating it, and like. Yeah. And if you've never seen it, I mean, I think both of us would say it's something definitely worth seeing. Yeah, do watch it. Just, um, you know, it's got a reputation that maybe it it would be tough for it to live up to. And I feel bad. I mean, I felt bad for it the first time I watched it and was like, oh, this doesn't come close for me to what other people see in this movie. But, like, I I think it's worth watching. It's better than I could do for another beloved, uh, equally mentioned foreign film that... uh, I just couldn't even finish because I found it so annoying. That's Amelie. I can't finish Amelie. I can't Amelie. do it. Don't do this. <laughs> Don't I, do this. I, podcast referencing a podcast nonsense. Yeah. I'm cutting that out. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I just can't finish Amelie. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm leaving it in. Fuck you. Um, let's not talk about Amelie. <laughs> All right, let's not talk about Amelie. Who do you have two recommendations? Two more things to pop off. One is, it's a tentative recommendation, but I'm seeing a sneak screening of Green Room tonight at 7.45. I really think that I'm going to like it, and I kind of wish we were recording this tomorrow so that I could say definitely one way or the other, go see this movie. I might be very apologetic about it next week, but it is a film about a punk band that gets trapped by a group of neo-Nazis because they witness a murder and they have to fight their way out. Directed by the guy who made Blue Ruin, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and it has Patrick Stewart as the head of this gang of neo-Nazis. It's gonna be dope and brutal and a lot of fun if you're into, like, you know, cringe-inducing, like, really violent... Like, don't go in if you have a soft stomach or you don't like that sort of, you know, high-anxiety, high-intensity sort of filmmaking. But it's gonna be a thrill ride and it'll be in theaters... Hopefully shortly after this comes out. So. so I'm imagining this... I haven't seen anything from this. I'm imagining this is kind of like Win and Refn kind of stuff. Is that, so, is that any... based on Blue Ruin, you would not guess so. Okay. Um, Blue Ruin's a much more conventional sort of 70s thriller where okay. this guy kind of pushed into circumstances that eventually has a huge escalation to it. Um, I, I, well, I've also heard like online like q and a's and stuff with him right. stylistically this is a lot different from right. Right. and and yeah that's the thing it's i what i would say is refin often has a comfort with just like letting people just get blown the fuck away without any interest in them that's not the vibe i got from him from okay. blue ruin so as a result i would just say that green room might be that way but based on Blue Ruin, it might be a new kind of beast. Okay. But yeah, hyper-violent, punk Nazi fight. It's probably pretty good. I will apologize to you next week if it isn't. Um, and finally, I want to recommend Season 2 of Fargo, which <laughs> yeah. is an FX television program. I finally got around to watching it this week. Um, I spent two nights just doing that so that I could get through it quick and get back to my life. But Patrick Wilson is the sort of hero that they sort of don't let be in TV and movies anymore now that we're in the post-Dark Knight, like, anti-hero world where Batman is the be-all end-all. But he's just a good man who has a complicated, interesting relationship with his wife, but not in, like, a manufactured drama way. It's a very human, textured sort of subplot that's underneath everything. There's just some incredible, like... 
I know that the Coens don't actually sign off on this show. Like, they have executive producer credits, but they've been asked in interviews, and they're like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. We're not involved. We don't care. Yeah. It's, it's TV. We're not mm-hmm. interested in it. Um, but it takes a lot of the, like, sort of sense of humor and, like, quality of writing. But I feel like the show has a lot more heart in it like it likes people a lot more than the coen brothers do by and large it believes a lot more in like the fundamental goodness that they sort of just pay lip service to sometimes except for in fargo where i think they actually follow through on it yeah but like it takes that ethos and just keeps elaborating on the basic decency of simple people and how they survive in a really really cruel changing world and there's a lot of really cool period work because they said it in 1979 and bruce campbell shows up playing ronald reagan on the campaign trail (laughs) no it's it's really great it's fucking good no it's really great it's really great it gets super weird it's a lot of fun also from burn notice jeffrey donovan shows up as (laughs) it's a burn notice family reunion (laughs) i hadn't realized it but jeffrey donovan like I love Burn Notice. We watched it way too much a couple years ago in my house. I love Burn Notice. I spent a lot of time looking at Jeffrey Donovan's face. I did not recognize him. I had to look up the cast after I finished the entire season, which he is in the majority of. Wow. He's not a small character in the season. I was stunned when I found out that it was him, because he looks like Tom Waits, like a young Tom Waits. I thought maybe they had just time traveled him in from, like, 82. God. And he has the most ludicrous, over-the-top northern Minnesota accent. Oh, yeah. Chomping on cigars. And he's got these really tiny, like... He's the most reprehensible character in the entire show. And he still gets these tiny moments of, like, humor and humanity where you almost sort of sympathize with him and like him a little bit. It's a fantastic <laughs> show. Oh, Jeffrey Donovan. It's a good season of TV. There are ten episodes. Find a way to watch it. Yeah. Man. And it's like an anthology series, so you don't need to have watched season yeah. one. It'll make sense as a standalone this... piece. Of... Yeah. Austin and I are probably going to go just, like, goof about Burn Notice for a while. Do you want to watch some Burn Notice? Fuck, man. Oh. Burn Notice. Jackson, do you want to watch Burn Notice? I gotta go. I'm oh, sorry. Um, well, if Jackson's got to go, then we gotta go. Um, That's the way this works. I'm Alex. I am Austin. I'm Jackson. Oh, shit, really quickly. <laughs> um, no, I have to do this part. Okay. Um, I want to say thank you to Honey Creek. Um, they are a punk pop oh, yeah, right. have, outfit a theme song in now. Milwaukee. Um, I went to kindergarten with the drummer. Hi, Donnie, if you're listening. One of my best friends for a long time. Um, and they really generously said it was okay if we used their song, Let's Get This Shit Settled, as our introduction and goodbye music. So um, they just released a four or five song demo on Bandcamp yesterday. It's really um, difficult to find. It's so. apparently really difficult to find, but honeycreekwi.bandcamp.com slash albums slash demo dash 2016. Um, I would really appreciate it if you went and listened to them and maybe downloaded their stuff because they were nice enough to let us use their song and I want to thank them very much. And you were nice enough to listen to this show. Which is now running very long. Let's unite some nice people. I'm Alex. I'm Austin. I've I've been Jackson. And you will continue to be if I have anything to say about it. We home.